welcome to episode 375 of Cinematary. I'm your host, Zach Dennis, and I'm here with... Jesse. In today's episode, we'll be talking about movies that we saw this week in part one, and in part two, we will be continuing our October series with 2010's Shrek Forever After, which, a little preview, is a little bit better than last week, but not by much. Not enough to really actually feel better at the end of the day. I don't think it's better. I think they're both equally bad. I don't know if it is better. At first I thought... I mean, they're both bad. At first I thought it was better, but upon reflection, I I don't know if I think that's true. So stay tuned for these riveting opinions about the uh, quality of Shrek relative to the third part. Is it good? No. The end. That's part two. Yeah. Shrek forever after. Um... Real quickly, head over to Cinematary.com. Our most recent review we have is one from Logan Kinney. He's, he wrote about Cry Macho, the uh, latest Clint Eastwood movie. Um, and then I think Andrew's writing something this coming up week, but he's not here, and I don't know what he was writing about. I he, guess. he is. It's some new movie by the guy who made House. Let me look. It's Labyrinth of Cinema. Is that what it was called? Is that what they're calling it? Oh, I, I saw him... Bo- logged that today and I wasn't sure what it was I mean I think Labyrinth of Cinema is an accurate way to describe whatever the hell that movie was because I was like sitting in the room for about 30 minutes and I have no idea what was going on I think why even write a review there's Jesse's review that's my review but I'm lame read Andrew's review it's gonna be so good um well let's go ahead and jump into movies that we saw this week and we'll kick it off with the hot new release what you doing What are you doing? What are you doing? Um, what are you doing? Doing drugs. I'm not even gonna like try to describe this plot because I don't. I didn't really know what was going on half the time. There were some people. There were some faces. Um, there was some. Well, it's your classic. One planet has a resource that they use to make their cars go vroom vroom. They don't want to give it away because it's like important to them culturally. Another planet says, well, sorry, but no, we're going to come take our vroom vroom powder. So then they come over, things get kind of dicey as it does. I mean, I feel like it's very extremely obviously an allegory for like oil. Oh, Plus LSD. Big time. And LSD. Yeah. And it's, like, it's like if oil was also a cool psychedelic drug. Yeah. I mean, it could be, I guess. That's, that's what that's what Dune is. Don't um, try it. But it's directed by Denny Villeneuve. Uh, it stars Timothy Chalamet, um, Rebecca Ferguson. It has a bunch of people. Oscar Isaac, Jason mm-hmm, Momoa, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Josh Brolin, Javier Bardem. Every, everybody that you want to look at for like three hours, they're <sighs> in that movie. And also, like, is Zendaya, is, is Zendaya's career just her staring at people? Yeah, that's enough. She doesn't need to do anything else. Or she can. She do. should. She should, but I'm also good with that. That's good. That works mm. for me. I mean, she's just kind of like... I'm like, yeah. You're like, okay. Um, I'm like, okay. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm not a big Denis Villeneuve person. He's he, like, this is kind of a perfect thing for him because it seems very humorless and he's very humorless and, and kind of drab and, and gray and boring. Um and it's also it feels very much like a half a movie because one it starts it opens with like Dune Part One, um, but it also just ends in like the middle of a fucking scene and it's just like oh we're done now, uh, and 
So visually, it's very, it's it's very, you know, it's very stunning in that fashion. Like it's worth, if you're kind of like, I want to go see a cool movie in a movie theater on like a giant screen, it's worth doing that because I saw it on like the the bigger screen at the theater that I went to, and um, like a lot, there's a lot of just the scenery is is really is really striking. Um, the I, I kind of liked all the, the just like little weird little gadgets and like the ships and like the they had like this one guy doing like a DJ thing and just there's a bunch of just little weird weird de- uh, strange details of it that I enjoyed. I'm like this is I kind of like that like a big movie that's you know multi million dollars has like all these kind of weird um, weird features to it because like you think of like like a lot of the newer Star Wars movies and stuff like that. It's very like it's it doesn't like try to steer from the path it's just like this is we're going to be more like grungy than uh than than really interesting in 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 terms of visual so i did like that it was very visually interesting but and it to me i was i'm kind of i kind of feel like i don't have like a firm opinion on it because i'm like yeah i feel like i watched half a movie and so (laughs) i don't like i don't know if i can give them an opinion on half a movie um yeah, it's that's I mean it's it's really it's really it's really great to look at, but in terms of like the story, it's just like it's half a movie, and you know you're just like, well, there's a, probably what is it they they're gonna make a second one, and then he wants to make like a third one, so I'm just like, that's great, but um, you know if this didn't happen, you wouldn't have had like it would have been a super like honestly I kind of wish that a second movie didn't happen because this would have been such a weird way to to just end this and be like this is just like a one off movie where the where she just goes, you know, something like this is just the beginning, and then they start walking, and it just cuts and goes directed by Denis Villeneuve. So, um, but you saw it too, Jesse. What'd you think? Yeah, um, I really liked it. I think um, we, we were talking a little about it after we finished watching it, and me and Cam both kind of compared it in scope or in kind of like the breadth of to like a space version of Lord of the Rings or something like the stories aren't really this similar obviously but it's just it feels like they really did put a lot of care into it like I feel like I don't know I like Star Wars movies too but you know sometimes I feel like they're very like snappy and this is not that um I think it, it's very kind of slow and meditative um I really liked, I felt like all of the characters really had an interesting depth to them. Like you got a good sense of who they were and um, kind of an interest and attachment to them too. Um, It also kind of, so I would almost compare it to like, I don't know, Lord of the Rings or like um, Game of Thrones, but in space. Like they have this kind of house system, I guess, you know, where like there's different houses and I guess those are people like different ruling classes in different planets but um they have it's got this like formal fantasy feel to it at times and it's interesting that you talk about like the technology in the movie because i felt like the technology was very like understated um cam made the statement like when we were talking about it that it almost feels like um the world is very lived in like they're not ever trying to show off a technology like a gadget and be like look at this cool lightsaber i have not that there's anything wrong with that because i like star wars movies but um anytime they kind of pull something out they're, they're just sort of understated the way they'll just kind of get something and use it and like not really seem like they were marking on it like this is just their world and this is just a normal thing so there's some kind of this this feeling of authenticity like everybody was really I don't know, really enmeshed in the world. And, and I think that's really brought out, too, with the visuals of the movie. Um, 
I mean, a lot of people, I think, were making fun of it when um, screenshots and stuff were coming out of it, and you just see a lot of desert and sand. But something about the 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 setting of the movie just felt very, very sprawling and immersive. Like, you know, when you're in his home, there's this very comfortable quality to his home. Or when you're in the desert, you feel this, like, sense of, like, oh, man, like, I'm stuck in this big, huge, open, dangerous space. I don't know, something about it just really felt, to me, that was very effective and captivating, just to see how sprawling the the set was. I loved, I thought that the acting and, and just the, the depth of each one of the characters was um, really well done, too. And, and I liked the story. I didn't, I was worried, because I feel like I had heard a lot of different things about the Dune series. I've never read the books. Um, I was worried that it would be hard to keep up with, but I really didn't have a hard time keeping up with the story, too. So, I mean, I, it would have been a lot easier if there were subtitles, because I feel like I could have gotten some names together, particularly, uh, what, Dungan, Idaho? Oh, I, 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 I got that one immediately. I kept thinking I was hearing somebody say Idaho, but then, like, Dude's no, surely Duncan not. Idaho. I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> Nobody's named Idaho in space, but no, there is a guy named Duncan Idaho, played by Jason Momoa. Um, I'd be friends with him. But, I, but it wasn't, like, too complicated to... I don't know, but I agree, it definitely... Feels a lot like Game of Thrones also in that, like, when you finish it, you're sort of like, wait, I have so many questions and there's so much more I need to see here. Well, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of those scenes where there's a lot of, um, we're doing this scene to, like, set up a bunch of stuff and explain, like, this is why these people are the way that, you know, like, there's a lot of, like, you have to, they're talking a lot, you know, there's a lot of the scenes with, especially Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac is there to, like, explain a lot of exposition to us. Yeah. And I'm the kind of person who, like, I'm not good at recalling or remembering names when I'm watching something. Like, if I've remembered somebody's name in a series, it's rare. <laughs> Usually I'll say, like, the blonde one or the witch one. The only names I even remember from this is Paul, just because it's hilarious that the main character in Space World is named Paul. But um, that was the one thing that was, like, a little hard if they, like, because they would kept mentioning people's names who were off screen. And if I had, like, a little face thing with their name somewhere to look at oh yeah that guy but i had that sometimes i'd get a little lost but there's like i think i think it's the the movies the movie's the 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 least interesting when it's in these like kind of exposition scenes there's a lot of like let's talk you know i'm talking to this character but i'm really talking to the audience i'll like explain stuff it is it is the most engaging whenever they're like exploring the desert and they're like doing that kind of stuff like that where it's actually they're actually like engaging in the world compared to explaining the world to you it's um it's way more it you know it kind of feels it's it, it i think i think a good comparison would be something like inception where they have to spend half the movie explaining them everything to you and then they have to spend half the world like entertaining you and i think inception's a little bit better at like explaining and entertaining you this one is very like this you know monochrome room where i'm going to explain why this family's important um but when the movie like they get into the they they start like getting into the desert they start like engaging with like the this 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 tribe of people who are in the desert like that's where it's the most interesting because like you you get kind of a new like you're saying you do get this kind of lived in quality where they're not they're not baby stepping you they're just kind of they're dropping you into the world that's where it's the most interesting which i guess is probably going to be the majority of the second movie so that's a good sign it's definitely an unusual blockbuster it's not like a high paced thing it was certainly big budget um, and you can tell, I just, I don't know, it just felt like 
they really wanted to take their time with it and, and just draw you in. And I think that it's kind of reflective of some of his other work, too, where it's not, like, really, really high energy most of the time. It's, it's very kind of Like slow. all his work? <laughs> uh, I don't, I've only seen a few things by him, so I don't necessarily want to make a sweeping statement. But um, that's probably fair, but I don't, I don't know. But, he he yeah. seems like the worst person to, like be like in a relationship for friends with because it seems it just seems like you're just like yo so denis like what's going on he's just like big spider no he's just kind of like the world is drab and he starts like spouting off like philosophy and you're just like all right well i'll see you later dude (laughs) um no it's good there's a giant fucking worm that was cool yeah yes the worm i liked it i liked it a lot um I wouldn't go into it expecting it to be this big, like, I think I'm worried that I'm wondering how the like audience reception of it is going to be because it's really kind of an unusual slower. It's done pretty, it's done pretty well so far. Yeah. I mean, like it's, I think, like I said, I think it's, it's, it's whether you like it or not. Like, I think it'll be a satisfying experience to go to a big screen and watch it because it does like on the just purely like visual level, it's way more fascinating than, than most things. Now I will say, you know, it was even cooler on the big screen, the trailer for ambulance, which so excited for that movie. It'll be interesting. I don't that know was my if high. there's any way to do this, but I would be interested to know like how people feel about the movie if they only saw it on HBO Max versus if they Ooh. went to the theater to see it. I think it. you definitely want to see it in theaters. They probably, yeah, but they probably understood it better. Like, True. like I was, I, I was thinking like I would, lo- I would love to watch it on HBO Max yes. just so I could have subtitles to know what the fuck they're like talking AMC about. I heard theaters are now going to start maybe rolling out some screenings with subtitles. I did see that they have. Um, they have closed captions, please. and I'm legit gonna probably like, go to this. <laughs> Michael, would you recommend reading the book? Like, what did, do you remember liking it? Was it confusing? Uh, so I read it in high school because I had heard that it was an influence on Star Wars, which it 100 is. Um, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, they talk about spice mines in A New Hope, and it opens up on a desert planet. Like, it's definitely like riding the Dune wave at the time. Um. But I remember getting into it. That's because Dune's 65, right? Yeah, Dune was 1960s. So it was like way, it far predates Star Wars. And it was like, I mean, Star Wars is definitely trading in on that, especially at the very beginning. Um, But uh, I remember reading it and it only took me like 10 pages to realize like, oh, so maybe this influenced Star Wars, but this is definitely like really heady and complicated. Um, And like, it does that thing where it has like before each chapter there's like quotes from like some like uh religious text or political texts and things like that that are of course like made up within the world um and it was a little bit i mean this is me when i'm like 16 or something so maybe i would feel differently now but i remember it being a little bit difficult to get into um but once you kind of get past the barrier it's really cool um maybe the opposite reading experience compared to like Lord of the Rings, which to me always is like the very, the very beginning of Lord of the Rings is super accessible. And then you slowly get more and more bogged down in detail. Um, once he's got you in there, right. Whereas this is, you're just thrown in with all the detail and you slowly are kind of like, like sorting it out in your head. Um, until by the end, it like all makes sense. Um, and, uh, so, I mean, if you're into that sort of reading experience, like it's definitely good. And it's like a, ideas wise, it is like really interesting. Um, 
I haven't seen the movie, but one thing that I'm told that the movie doesn't have as much of is that kind of like mm, psychedelic yeah, element because the book can be really like wildly psychedelic at times. Um, there's just some really strange stuff that happens as they describe like what happens when people like take the spice and things like that. Um, so which that might that might be more in the second one. But yeah, I mean, that's that's the other issue you run into with Denny Villeneuve is like he, you know, he kind of he has his lane and so yeah there's not you don't really get into anything there's a couple moments there's one where he's like having the paul is having like dreams there's a couple scenes where he's like having these visions and dreams and stuff but yeah it's i don't i would classify them as like being super psychedelic it's more just like a dream sequence yeah and i mean some of it is just that like the world of dune is just really strange and grotesque you know like um, it just some of the some of the stuff, at least as it's described, is really strange. I mean, people, I don't really like the David Lynch version from the whatever that was eighty whatever, but that David Lynch movie does kind of capture like the kind of weird grotesquery of like the world of Dune, um, and especially like the kind of um, I'm I'm forgetting the terminology, but you know the the like space bureaucracy or space like feudalism or whatever they're dealing with um like those people are really kind of very gross and like strange uh compared to like um the more majestic but kind of harsh world of like the planet of dune um so i mean i have fond memories of reading dune but i also feel like it's maybe not for everyone um i don't know I, I'd go. I mean, again, I like. I would go see the movie. It is. It's visually much more fascinating than anything you know else. Most everything else you'd see is from like a large scale blockbuster movie, other than Ambulance. So, uh, Michael, I'm going to toss it over to you because you went nose first into uh, a horror series. Yeah. So. As it turns out, the month of October has been mostly consisting of me running through two series, uh, the first of which would be Shrek, um, and the second of which is Friday the 13th. Um, And in both of these series, I had seen only the first one before I decided to take the plunge and see the rest. Um, And so I checked out from the library the first eight Friday the 13th movies, which came in like a set together. I don't know why nine and 10 weren't included. Um, But I was only going to watch the second one, but then I ended up watching a lot more. And I've watched through the sixth one, so I've not seen seven or eight. So uh, all you seven and eight fans, you know, I'm sorry. But um, my history with Friday the 13th is I saw the first one like probably six or seven years ago for the first time. And I thought, well, that wasn't very good. And then I promptly like moved on. Um, but then eventually... And so you thought six years later, you know what, I'm ready for more. Well, so what I was interested in is I had gotten further along in like the Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street series. And a lot of those, obviously the first one is the best with those two, but they have kind of like, they get really bizarre and weird as they go on. Uh, just because, like, I think people run out of ideas, and so they're just like, whatever, we're going to make, um, you know, uh, we're going to make Freddy give birth to a baby or whatever, you know, all this, like, weird stuff. Um, and I'm like, you know what? I know from the titles of the movies of Friday the 13th that later on, like, Jason goes to space, and Jason takes Manhattans from the Muppets, apparently. Um, 
And so I'm like, you know, it seems like later on down the line, these movies get kind of kooky. And so I'm interested in getting to that point. Um, and so I'm like, I'll just dip my toe back in. I'll, I'll watch the second one. Uh, I watched the second one and the second one was better than the first one. Uh, it's basically like a retread of the first one. Um, one thing that's kind of funny in like the first like four Friday the 13th movies is they all begin with a recap of the one before it. Uh, which is really funny because usually they don't really, these movies don't care about continuity. Um, and these movies also don't, aren't really that plot heavy either. Uh, so like at the beginning of the second one, we get a recap of the first one, which for those who haven't seen it, like spoilers, but like we go, you know, these kids go to camp crystal Lake and they slowly get murdered by an unseen foe throughout the movie. And at the end of the movie, you find out it's his mother who's mad because like 20 years ago, her son drowned because two camp counselors were having sex and not paying attention to her son and he drowned. And so he's like taking revenge on like horny teenagers for life. Um, and so teenage horniness is not a crime. It is for, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Voorhees. Um, and so like they kill her, they decapitate her in fact, at the end of the first movie. And you see all this in like a recap at the beginning of the second movie, but then the second movie has Jason alive for some reason. Like, it makes no sense. So, like, this is sort of, like, the recurring motif in these movies, which is that they do a recap and they draw on, like, what happens in the other ones. But then they also, like, consciously, like, don't follow the plot either. So, it doesn't really make sense. But the second one was, like, a, a more professional version of the first one. So, the first one is just, like, this, like, grindhouse, like, cheapy movie that, like... I didn't feel like had a lot going for it. Um, and this one is sort of that, but just a lot more competently done. Um, and then the third one is bad. Uh, and I was like, you know what? Maybe I won't watch through this whole series because I'm starting to think that these don't get a lot better. And so I'm like, I'm just going to watch the fourth one, which was initially planned to be the final Friday the 13th. And it's called um, The Final Nightmare, I think. No, 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 no. Sorry, that's... um. Let me look up the titles of these because they're all super generic titles. Um, That's actually the name of the Shrek movie we're talking about. So Okay, so Friday the 13th 4 was called The Final Chapter. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to watch the fourth one. It's called The Final Chapter. I'll just pretend it is The Final Chapter and then like I'll have wrapped the series. And then I watched the fourth one and it's actually good. It's like not just good for Friday the 13th, but it's good. It's like really strange. Like, for example, like there's just this like recurring motif of like people getting thrown out of windows through the glass like this happens like a dozen times in the movie um there's also this really long runner where this like stoner finds like a a reel like a a reel of film that turns out to be a silent era porno and so he's spending like 20 minutes of the movie just watching the silent era porno just like getting stoned out of his mind while his friends are being killed by jason and there's just like all sorts of weird stuff. Uh, Crispin Glover is in it as this dude who is really insecure about his sexual performance. And so his like whole thing is I'm going to have sex with women and then ask them really awkwardly like how it was. Um, and then he also does this really bizarre dance. Um, on a scale of one to ten. In the middle of the movie. And it's just like full of these really weird stuff. And it's not like kooky like Jason goes to space. It's just really interesting characters and fun and also really really gruesome like these movies get increasingly gruesome as they go on um and like usually the premise is like these teenagers are irritating as shit and so you get to see them die in horrible ways and this movie really leans into that um and it was fun so i'm like oh great you know just when i thought i was out i got pulled back in um and uh so i'm like i guess i'm watching number five and so i put in number five 
And number five is terrible. Like it is by far the worst in the movie. Like it is like nothing happens. For some reason, it is set in like a, like a, like a camp for people with like mental disabilities. Which like I know I got just got through saying how fun it was watching irritating teens get killed, but like it really kills the vibe when there are people who are like suffering from mental, uh, like disabilities or disorders. Um, like, like genuinely, like the first kill is this dude who like genuinely had like he's visibly disabled in some way, and it's just like not very fun, um, and it's also like so boring. Um, a lot of these movies end up being pretty boring because there's such a plot like re- repetition. It's like, oh, these people have sex, then they die. Oh, these other people are about to have sex and they die. Oh no, now enough people have died that people realize what's going on. And they're no longer interested in having sex, so they gotta hunt down Jason. Um, and so then I finally watched the sixth one because I had heard that that was a little bit better than the fifth one, which it was, but it wasn't as good as the fourth. And I think at this point I am going to just watch seven and eight just to finish this library box <laughs> might set. Might as well. I might as well. I really wanted to get to the one where Jason goes to space, though, and I've not gotten to that yet. Um, and some of these are like have really funny stuff in them, like unintentionally funny and sometimes intentionally funny. So like the sixth one opens, like Jason has been cremated in the fifth one. Um, like burned to death but for some reason in the sixth one he's buried um, and so these this dude who's having like PTSD from the fifth one like is gonna like I gotta dig up this corpse just to confront it face to face and this will solve my PTSD and it's like how the movie opens and it's like a lightning storm so they start digging and they dig him up and they open him up and it's just like this rotting corpse with like maggots all over it and it's really gross and they're like all right we've seen him now we can go and then they're leaving and this bolt of lightning shoots down from the sky and zaps Jason and he comes back alive. Like, and the movies are just full of stuff like that where it's just like this, this really bizarre stuff that's like, most of the time it's too boring to be camp, but every once in a while it will just like get exquisitely campy. Um, and it's like really fun when that happens. So I don't know. I, I don't feel like this is a series that I would recommend people just rush out to see, but if you're willing to just like, kind of like slowly plug away at the series to uncover the little like gems inside, cause there are some gems, maybe not even entire movies of gems except for the fourth one. Um, but there are some gems, like, I guess, I don't know. Sometimes it's fun. Like just watching a series where eventually people just gave up trying to make it serious and they just like were throwing stuff at the wall. It's kind of like what the, that's kind of like what the Chucky franchise ended up doing. But most of those, when they stopped being serious, they actually got better. Yeah, this one, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. Also, what's really interesting is Jason doesn't get a hockey mask until uh, the third movie. And I just think it's incredible that like, the hockey mask is completely owned by Jason now in the popular consciousness. Like... You see a hockey mask and you think serial killer. Like, you don't think hockey. Um, but it takes him three movies to put it on, which I think is... What does he do in the second he's movie? He's got a bag over his head. <laughs> um, and then in the first movie, he's not even in it. So, like, I think it's, like, really incredible, like, how influential these movies were, not just on movies themselves, which they were. Like, I mean, this is, like, one of the foundational slasher film, like, franchises. But also, just in the culture at large, like... Even, like, the dreadful, like, later entries, like, number three, had enough cultural sway to completely change, like, the connotations of a hockey mask. And I think that that's, the series is kind of fascinating because of that. It's not good at all, but somehow people were sticking around. Like, people just loved that 
oh, we're going to see people have sex and then get stabbed. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I don't know. This is not a ringing endorsement, but there, it's like an interesting franchise to think about as you kind of trudge your way through it. Well, so yeah, Friday the uh, Friday the thirteenth. You don't have to watch all eight, but you can maybe watch some of them. Yeah, and honestly, if you just want to pick and choose which ones you watch, like I said, there's like the uh, the montages of like previously on Friday the thirteenth. So like I think that goes through the fourth one. So if you wanted to just start in number four, it'll which is the good one, it'll tell you what happened in all the other ones, and then immediately disrupt that continuity. So. So you said number, was it number, four or five the, is the best? Number four is definitely the best, but be careful because number five is definitely the worst. So just tread lightly. Um, and then sometime Jason uh, goes to hell, apparently. Uh, and then another time he goes to Manhattan and another time he goes to space. Uh, and so I'm really looking forward to eventually hitting those. But um, Are you sure that hell isn't just Manhattan? Uh, these are two separate films, so... Um, Hard, hard to say, though. What if you had to make somebody else watch one of the series that you've watched, either Friday the 13th or Shrek, what would you make them watch? <laughs> um, Shrek 1 and 2 are probably better than any of the Friday the 13th movies, except maybe the fourth one is maybe as good as Shrek 2, um, which I wasn't as high on Shrek 2 as you guys were, but... Um, I think that ultimately there is nothing in the Friday the 13th series that is as bad as Shrek 3 or 4. So... Who's thinking that Friday the 13th 5? Friday the 13th 5 was not is even as bad as Shrek, Shrek 3 or 4. 4. Wow. Yep, yep, 100%. Um, I mean, you kind of... You didn't have me there, but now you're kind of getting me. Like, maybe I will do this. I don't think I will. After, after Shrek 4... Even Friday the 13th is a step up. Part two is going to be real fun. Speaking of that, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back talking Shrek forever after, after this. Hey, Cemetery listeners, Andrew here. At the midpoint of this week's episode, I want to direct you to some of the non-podcasty things we have to offer. First, if you're a fan of what we do, please consider supporting us on Patreon. For $5 a month, you get three things. A shout-out at the end of every episode, the opportunity to choose a movie we cover on the show, and our Patreon-exclusive podcast, Film Theory and Chill, in which we look at a piece of theory once a month, deconstruct it, and then just chill out, talking about whatever else we have going on. All Patreon support goes solely to paying our writers for their reviews that go up on our website every Monday. Also, at the bottom of Cinematary.com, you can sign up for our free newsletter. Every Sunday, we send out an email with the latest podcast episode, Patreon content, and written reviews. This is perfect for those who want to keep tabs on what's happening, but might be too busy to see the posts when they go up. Before I go, one more quick thing. The easiest thing you can do to support us is to give Cinematary a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. This is quick, free, easy, and we will read your review out on the show once we get it. To recap, consider donating to our Patreon, sign up for the free newsletter, and please give us a rating and review. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show.
this part, we will be continuing our October series with uh, 2010's Shrek Forever After. I don't really have any a lot of notes on this one because the I I out of all the episodes of Cinematary that we've done, there's usually like a couple things that are like kind of fascinating or interesting that I can add to the to the note sheet. There's nothing with Shrek 3 and 4. It's just like these people got paid, a movie was made, and it came out. So so this one was directed by Mike Mitchell from a script by Josh Klossner and Darren Lemke, who did uh, Date Night, which is a good movie. But uh, it's a very, which is a relatively entertaining movie, but I don't know if that translates to Shrek. Film stars the same people we've been talking about for a month now, along with Walt Dorn, John Hamm, and Craig Robinson. Uh, Long settled into married life and fully domesticated, Shrek begins to long for the days when he felt like a real ogre. Duped into signing a contract with devious Rumpelstiltskin, he finds himself in an alternate version of Far Far Away where ogres are hunted, Rumpelstiltskin rules, and he and Fiona have never met. Shrek must find a way out of the contract to restore his world and reclaim his true love. So in October 2007, Jeffrey Katzenberg announced the t- a title for the fourth film, which was Shrek Goes Forth, explaining that, quote, Shrek goes out into the world, comma, forth. Oh, yeah. He does that in every movie. Yeah. I don't What'd you say? He Michael? does that in every movie. That's like literally the plot of the first one is he goes forth right. from his swamp. That's <laughs> true. In May, in, in May 2009, however, DreamWorks Animation retitled the film Sh- to Sh- uh, Shrek Forever After, indicating that it would be the last in the Shrek series. Um, in, uh, in November 2009, Bill Damaski, head of creative production at DreamWorks Animation, confirmed with, quote, all that, we, all that was loved about Shrek in the first film is brought to the final film. Um... And I think they've been talking about making a fifth movie, but that has not really come to fruition. Um, Let it die. Take it out of its misery. Yeah. Uh, in 2010, the New York Times said, Eddie Murphy's toothless, shifty-eyed donkey who distills the series attitude of cheerful, curdled hipness in its his eternal upbeat cheekiness. He is a creation to rival Peter Pan. I, I don't know what they were talking about there. I just added that because that was such a strange fucking pool quote that Rotten Tomatoes had. He also definitely has teeth. They show his teeth all the what time. Um, Washington Post in 2010 said, After a disappointing third outing, this Shrek brings the cycle of fairy tale theme films to a fine finish. In 2010, Variety says, Whether or not Shrek has outlived his usefulness as a profit center, it's clear that time and technology have passed him by. On that note, let's talk about Shrek forever after. Um, oh, man. Speaking of time and technology, um, the way this looks... Though newer, though though newer and technically more, I don't know, computer advanced, it looks so bad. Like, just within the first minute of it, looking at it, I'm like, I hate the way this looks. I hate the way Shrek looks. He's, like, fucking me up looking at this guy. Donkey, actually, I did kind of like Donkey's little, like, rustled hair. Because it's like, it's like Donkey, but he's in this, like, rough and tough world where you kind of got to see his hair. I felt like that was intentional, not like... Just but he's like that before he goes into the, the like, alternate dimension. Like, it's just like they can render it in more detail, and it looks just so weird. Like, 
it's like kind of how I felt about in Toy Story 4. Like we've we're so used to these characters who are made of plastic and then by the time they get to Toy Story 4, there's like really realistic reflections and lighting on like their textures and stuff and it feels a little bit unsettling. It's not it's like not the uncanny valley. It's like something reversed where we're used to seeing these characters look unrealistic and now they look so much more realistic. They don't look bad if we had like met them at this stage, but like because we got used to them like kind of looking a little doughier and plasticier, the the transition into higher def and higher like um, rendering just is disturbing good. a little bit to me. So not good. Mm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I knew I knew that you had feelings about that because I also had feelings about that. But Zach, you probably had some cool thing we were gonna start with discussing. No, I was gonna I was gonna start it with Michael because you've you haven't been with us for a few episodes, so I'm just curious what you made of the the last few Shreks and then I guess this one. My feelings on the Shrek franchise after having seen them all is that one is really interesting and cool as I talked about a few weeks ago and then two is just fine then three and four are terrible like so terrible and I don't remember who pitched our October series but I definitely it was you it wasn't me I was about to say I definitely egged it on and I definitely egged it on and apparently um, suggested it. And at the time... I thought it was fantastic. At idea. the time, my thought was, this will be really interesting to see how like, a series that at one point was so hip and like ahead of the curve and like kind of tearing down the like establishment of like what then was like the dominant form of animation, which was like the really um, sincere like Disney-style family film what would it look like for that as that became the norm, like how the Trek franchise adjusts to like, it's sort of like snarky, like semi satirical tone becoming essentially like what all animated movies became in the two thousands. Um, and the answer is, it's not that interesting to see uh, the Trek movies just become like every other franchise. Like, and I guess it's actually sad. Maybe it, it's just, actually this whole series, as we reflect on it, is just sad. And maybe it would have been sad more interesting if Shrek had continued to be this like really antic and like transgressive force. But Shrek's three and four are just like they're sitcom plots. They 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 feel like an like really long episodes of a sitcom that's in like its tenth season, and its characters get married and then have kids. And then they do a It's a Wonderful Life episode. Like that happens in like all old like like sitcoms that last long enough. And there's something just really like a bummer about that because a lot of like it wasn't like DreamWorks as a studio that lost that really strange energy because you can see like B movie and like eventually which was after Shrek Four but eventually like things like Trolls or Captain Underpants like those were those are weird and interesting movies but the 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 Shrek movies just completely lose any sign of life like it they just become like complete autopilot i don't even know is number four supposed to be a comedy at all like like it's it like well who, takes like, this it's like who the, the thing i was thinking about is like who is this we talked about this a little bit last week but it's like who is this for because it's like you go and like the parents are just kind of like oh i don't want to watch this like i want to watch something at least gross and stupid that like the kid will be entertained with but how is my kid going to be entertained with watching shrek being upset with domestic life you know also 
we had this arc in the first or the third movie where Shrek was like, I'm not sure if I'm ready for parenthood. I can't do his accent, but, um, you know, with the... He said that was a direct quote, too. The baby is, like, pooping and stuff. He doesn't like that. And at the end of the third, it's like, oh, I guess being a parent is great after all, Um, despite having nothing in the third built up to that moment. Pooping and burping, pooping and burping. He starts off (laughs) being tired of being a parent, like... And he's, like, back to square one or square three um, and and not wanting to be a parent again. And he goes through that same existential crisis of, I want to be free. I want to live my own life. I don't want to be tied down by domestic uh, life and domestic responsibilities like kids. And, like, I don't, I don't know, like, why the movies think that we care about Shrek's domestic life. But I don't. Like, I just don't care. And I said this on Letterboxd, and maybe this isn't true of everyone, but, like, the Shrek franchise does not set itself up for you to care about the emotional stakes of its characters. Like, it opens with you, like, like, or like maybe for like one or two instances. Like, you know, you want you want Shrek and Fiona to get married. That's that's about how emotionally. I don't know if I want anybody to get married, but yeah. But yeah, like at the very like very basic level, like most of Shrek involves like just kind of having a kind of like kind of snide disdain for like the the sincere stakes of like a traditional family film um and is very cynical about that and so me i'm locked into that groove and no matter what the series does i it can't make me care about these characters like i kind of it's kind of sweet at times like that fiona and shrek are happy together but like it's never sweet enough that i need entire plots that hinge not on comedy or satire on any level but on I want to see this family get back together. Like this family that I've never been invested in This family that like, honestly, like there's like five minutes of the kids at the end of Shrek three. Like, why do I care if those kids disappear and Shrek's life turns like cra- turns to crap? Like I, I, yeah, yeah those, those kids those are kids really, suck. I don't they're care irritating. They have no personality. They have no real bearing on like the Shrek universe that we care about. Like they they they're are they gosh I hate looking at them those they they're really gross they oh give it to Shrek four that's Shrek three's fault uh, for the kids being ugly it's like the same looking kids they what they just yeah. have to inherit those kids. also well and it, talk, you know I think though. one thing you also hit on is it is I think what what's great about the first two is it's constantly kind of giving the finger to disney and like the 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 disney like plot beats and and like what you expect out of a fairy tale quote-unquote movie under the disney uh banner and like the third fourth movie completely ditch not only like poking fun at that but also just kind of like there's there's just and there's no like there's no like satirical bent to it at all it's just kind of like you're describing i think i think the description of it being like a sitcom plot is fair because it does it just feels like something where you like you can feel like that nobody has an idea for this but they have to make a movie um and like i know i think last week we were asking well, why would they even make this movie and it's like well i mean i don't blame mike myers and eddie murphy and cameron diaz like they were getting giant ass paychecks to do this you know do 15 hours of work so i mean i would do yeah, that this if movie i could made 752 million dollars yeah and so like they make money but it's just like in terms of like the out like you can do that like i think that's what was great about the first two is that like you could do that but also make like a you know an, an interesting movie and like there's just something so like 
euthanized about about the third and fourth movie to the point that like it's not it's just not even it's not even entertaining it's just kind of like like by the i think there's so many points in shrek 4 where it's just kind of like i kind of just let it run and i was doing other stuff (laughs) i was like whatever i think there's definitely and maybe the shrek franchise kind of had this going too when it when it was like new and being made there's this like phenomena of like franchise loyalty like a franchise will make like one or two like kind of interesting movies and by then you like it enough that you keep seeing them even when they end up definitely not being that good but you're like well i've already seen the other ones like i might as well it's out in theaters you know like that's kind of honestly for me this sounds like me and friday the 13th yeah yeah (laughs) Might as well, you know, or like, I'm trying to think, I don't know, like the Twilight movies when they came out, like I might have liked the first one when I was in high school, but I ended up watching the entire series, like, even though at a certain point I realized this is just not even that good, I just don't even really like this, but I've already watched the first ones, I've read the books, like I might as well, you know, and I wonder if that's kind of what happened with Shrek 2, like, or Shrek 3 and 4, people were like, Wow, was that even good? I can't remember. Maybe I remember liking the first one a lot. I guess I should just go ahead and see this one yeah, too. Yeah, well, I think also like um, there was, um, you know, you have kind of like that built-in like parents with kids like go and just kind of toss something on. But I think also there, like the first two movies, like like I said, like they set a precedent to, for being like this is like a little bit different than your run-of-the-mill. Um, animated movie that you're seeing like there's you know you're not at this point in time you you got pixar and you got disney doing stuff um and those and, it's kind of an edgy yeah feel and like to those it. and like you know this came out in 2010 which is the same year that toy story 3 came out um entangled so like you have you're like you're getting into Tangle is probably the beginning of where people are starting to get re-interested into the Disney animation because they start doing Tangled and Frozen and those types of things. And then for Pixar, like Toy Story 3 is probably, and correct me if I'm wrong, kind of like the last vestige of like that golden age Pixar. That's what it was. And so yeah. it's kind of like, yeah. is this before, I mean, then there's Cars 2 and you get in like rockier territory. Yeah. But it, but like Shrek, not that it was better or necessarily better or worse than those, but it's like, it was something that was drastically different than, you know, even the Pixar, like, again, like I like those Pixar movies, but it was like different. Like there was something kind of like, like, that's why you know, we talked about it in the first episode, but that's why the, the, you know, imperfect animation was great because there was just something like obtuse and like uncanny and just kind of like grotesque about Shrek. That was like very endearing compared to, you know, you think of just how, um, how like digitally perfect, you know, the, the Pixar movies are. And I think it's, I don't know, there's something interesting to be said. Like, so when Trek 1 comes into theaters, like, that is at the tail end of, like, the Disney, quote-unquote, like, renaissance. You know, we're, like, Disney in, like, you know, like, starting with Little Mermaid, like, on, like on through the 90s, like, completely wraps the American animation industry around itself. And all American uh, animation begins to resemble Disney movies. Even the early Pixar movies are very, like, like constructed in like a Disney mold, like Prince of Egypt or something like that. Um, and Shrek comes out and it's not like the first, like kind of like uh, hip or adult centric, um, like animated movie, like they do an ants and stuff like that. But like, it's definitely the one that feels like most aggressively anti that formula. 
And then around the same time, Disney really like starts faltering uh, commercially and like artistically as well. And like that whole 2000s era is like essentially like movies like Shrek become a lot more popular, like DreamWorks, like commercially, like is far outpacing Disney. And even like the Pixar movies, while they're not as irreverent as Shrek, there is like a sort of Shrek feel to some of the movies in the sense of, oh, here's a setting and here's a surprisingly humorous twist on that setting. Um, so, uh, you know, and it's like the Pixar movies were never as dopey and sincere as like nineties Disney. And so like Shrek never, the Shrek franchise never like really responds to like Pixar. Um, and then by the time that like Disney comes along and becomes Disney, it's again, Disney itself has been kind of Shrekified. Like if you watch Tangled compared to like, um, Mulan or something like that. Um, Tangled is so much jokier and quippier and like sarcastic than any of those like 90s Disney movies because it's like inherited the DNA of like some of the like just ambient Shrekness of like uh, family film, like animated family films at the time. And at that same time, the Shrek franchise has just become so anemic. Like it's just like this weird thing of the franchise itself couldn't really sustain um, the death of the thing that it was satirizing. Um, and everything just kind of co-opted the DNA of Shrek, which kind of left the whole thing toothless, uh, like, in general. Even if they had continued to be satirical, like, I don't even know if how that would have landed. Well, it even it even, it even, even kind of lost, I mean, like, I'm, I'm thinking also now with this fourth one, especially, like, there's, like, hardly any any references whether good or bad to like pop culture you think of like the first and second trek and it's like wall to wall like it's making direct references to stuff that you would recognize and like that's so what's that's what's so weird about trek forever after is it's like to to your point michael it's like um, it's like referencing itself because it's like all like like the whole movie is built on like playing off the previous movies that you, you just kind of go, well, this doesn't work at all because like the, the whole, the whole infrastructure of Shrek was, you know, making these quips and making these references to, st- to pop culture moments and other movies and other TV shows and stuff that people knew. And now it's just like referencing in on itself and it's weird. I mean, the, even the music is like, the music's just like life. Like there's just, like, the music is lifeless. The, just everything. It just feels so, you know, antithetical to uh to to what the movies previously have done also it does this thing that is really strange like in like you talk about referencing the other movies which it does but it does something really bizarre and i don't know why this is so bizarre to me except that like so none of the other movies ever mention ogres except in as much as shrek is an ogre and then in this movie there's an entire race and civilization of ogres and that really threw me for a loop it felt kind of like I don't know if you guys have ever seen the sequel to The Lion King, um, Simba's Pride, but they invent it for that sequel, like another, like a rival clan of lions that is, they pretend has existed the whole time. And that kind of felt like that was happening when the ogres showed up and I'm like, wait, what are all of these other ogres? I thought it was just Shrek and Fiona, even though like, I know Shrek like talks about like ogres have layers, like assuming that there are other ogres. There's something like, I'm not even like bought into series continuity, but there's something weirdly disconcerting about like all these ogres coming out of the woodwork in the fourth movie and never having been referenced in the other movies. Yeah, I guess what you're supposed to think is that they all kind of had to be in hiding and out of the way, and now they're just like able to 
kind of safely when they're all together be together um, and fight against this thing and but I <laughs> it's a it's a better time for ogre rights right. so uh... Andrew when we were watching it he was kind of like saying he almost didn't want this universe to end because he was like hey but these ogres are gonna get liberation and I was like yeah but in the other universe like they kind of do since Shrek and Fiona are celebrities he was like yeah Shrek um Shrek gets like uh, respectability politics into into like rights, like he has to he has to save a princess and overthrow the I like know, Lord Farquaad right? in order to get rights. Uh, so, I liked also just 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 somewhat you know irrelevant, but I like that the main the main like non Shrek Fiona ogre is like this ogre that's voiced by John Hamm like why the fuck is John Hamm the voice of the ogre <laughs> this was like at the height of Mad Men too like 2010 yeah. is like in the middle of like John Hamm as a prestige actor <laughs> he, he was literally an ogre called was Brogan. he the chef or was he just like the hot one yeah okay. no he was the hot one <laughs> there was definitely one that they were like we're gonna give him like a chiseled jaw and like ripped that abs was John Hamm for no reason they're like he's hot yeah it was you're welcome it just seemed like a weird a weird a weird decision um i also want to talk speaking of weird decisions like the fact that shrek spends most of the movie trying to force fiona to kiss him is another thing like i know seth on the other episodes kind of went on rants about how much he hated shrek as a character and like that never really bothered me too much in the other movies because it's just like whatever he's an ogre and like I don't know. I I never cared about the character of Shrek, so I didn't care if he wasn't a character that I didn't like. But in this one, he's not like he loses all of that like curmudgeonly ogreness and just becomes like a gross dude. Like he's just like I just want to live my life, and now I'm gonna like try to kiss this woman who doesn't want to kiss me all the time just to prove that she actually does love me. And I don't know, like. Well, it's all about like him learning not to take what he has for granted. But like, watch Coraline if you want to hear that message. That's a, actually, and it's a story for kids too, right? Like, this is a story that for some reason is all about like adult ennui and like existential crises and but like if an adult sits and watches this movie they're gonna be like wow why the what the fuck am i doing with my life why am i watching this movie that's kind of the old joke about like a bunch of like quote-unquote family movies is that they're about dads learning to love their families right instead of being about the kids that the movie is ostensibly marketed toward and like i never felt that was true of the other shrek movies but this is definitely like one of those types of movies where the arc of the movie has nothing to do with children or things that children would find interesting it has to do with uh like dads reconciling with their families which is I don't know, maybe says something about the screenwriters of Hollywood's family or something. Maybe. Well, like, you think about, like, so think about, like, the beginning, not the, like, the little prologue thing with Rumpelstiltskin, like, the, the beginning of this movie where, like, you have the whole montage of, like, Shrek waking up in the morning and, like, dealing with the kids all day. and Like, you have, like, that whole monotony montage. And then he goes to literally, like, a fairy tale Chuck E. Cheese to for this birthday part. Like what like what is any of this is like a kid going, Oh my gosh, this is so much fun. Like just the beginning like I was watching the beginning of this movie and I'm just like, this is so so deeply boring. Oh, the first the first ten minutes were awful. Awful. And then the well, subsequent so eighty minutes exhausting. are awful too. So yeah. fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I feel like the first like five or ten minutes in particular are just like painfully well, it's like. Just, well, God, it's just more just like, guys, like 
you need to like this like this is a kids movie and usually so you think of like you think of like the first Shrek you have like the whole fairy tale thing and then you have All Star I mean you you can't go down from there then in Shrek two you have like the whole like fake out with Prince Charming um, but like you don't have like any like engaging like adventurous like thrilling little lead in it's literally like Rumpelstiltskin trying to get Fiona's parents to sign this thing and then Shrek is a domesticated dad I'm like none of this is entertaining if I'm a child <laughs> oh no and can I just say too I don't I'm sure you guys agree I'm not even gonna be surprised but Rumpelstiltskin is like very much the worst villain I think in the whole franchise I think I think he's just obnoxious every time he was on screen every time he was speaking I hated looking at him I hated hearing his stupid voice I didn't care about his life he's the most he's the least interesting villain and the most annoying of the whole franchise that's and fair because I, I, like the the other ones Prince Charming is, is like we talked about last week is just kind of like, fun. like he's, that's kinda he's fun. yeah he's fine um but like like Far- Lord Farquaad is probably one of the best characters in the entire series. Yeah, and then you have yeah. amazing. And then and then Fairy Godmother is pretty entertaining as well. Like both of them are are like like honestly, the first two movies are great because the vil- the villain characters are so much more entertaining than the like hero characters. Like I wanted Lord Farquaad to win. He's the best. Maybe I mean I was just going to say, maybe that's part of the problem with, like, my feelings about Shrek as a character in this one. Is like, finally there is no villain to, like, distract me away from the void that is Shrek uh, the, as a character. And, um, you know, I'm just now only looking at Shrek and realizing, wow, I guess Seth was right. This guy does suck. That's the motto. Seth was right. Seth was right. I want to say, too, like, this might have been a problem in the second one, but I feel like it wasn't. I'm starting to get them all very much, like, blurred together in one long, oh, just spill of a mess of a franchise. But um, in the third and fourth one, I feel like they spend a lot more time with these characters that I also find especially annoying, which are Pinocchio and the Cookie and the, the gingerbread man, you mean? I, like, I don't... <laughs> the yes, the cookie. Um, <laughs> I, I greatly dislike those characters, and I think they're the weakest part of the second movie, because I just don't give a shit about them. I love Donkey, I love Shrek, I love... Yeah, the wolf. Who gives a like, fuck about the wolf? They're not interesting characters. All they, the everything they say like sounds the annoying. Well, no, I see what Who you cares? mean. They they're are they're like... They're like the characters as they're introduced are just bits, right? Like the gingerbread man exists for the like, do you know the muffin man scene, like in its entirety, and like, yeah, anytime that you're asked to like be entertained by them, that go outside of like, I don't know, and like Pinot, like, yeah, the core four, because like those were just joke characters that were introduced and they were popular because the jokes were funny, but now they're existing without jokes, except that. Pinocchio's nose will grow at least once an episode or not an episode of thing. And, uh, and then like, I don't even know what the gingerbread man's thing is anymore. Like he gets baked. Like, like, I don't know. Like those characters have lost any semblance of like, what, like their purpose and their purpose of being there now is just because, Oh, they liked them in the first movie. We're going to bring them like, keep bringing them back. 
I mean, I thought it was funny, like, when Pinocchio's like, I'm not a puppet, I'm a real boy, and his nose grew up. Like, that's, like, a funny joke in the first one. And it's a funny joke when... It's, like, a funny scene when Lord Farquaad's like, do you know the Muffin Man? And the Muffin Man. That's, like, that's all funny. But again, like, these characters have been brought back. It Like, it's like the entire franchise, which is that it... Like, these movies increasingly presume that what we enjoy about the franchise is the signifiers of the franchise rather than like the function of the franchise which initially the function of the franchise was to like entertain and poke fun at these like tropes um and eventually that just goes away and but we're still supposed but the people are like hey you like shrek right well here's shrek again and we're like but what about the jokes like but you like shrek right here's shrek again and i you know they just like lose anything that was appealing about the movies while also just drilling in like the franchiseness of it like you liked seeing these images and so we're going to play these images for you um even if we don't care to make them enjoyable and and kind of going back to the point we were talking about like more and and how it like fits with like the larger movie trends like that that seems like a like a precursor or an indicator of like kind of what we're in now where we have like you know you'll have like a franchise and there'll be one character that people really like and it's like well let's make a pre- prequel or an origin story about this person um you know we did get like a you were in boots movie it did they, they had, we we did yeah, get a i forgot about that they do have that what but i mean like like you think of like the I mean you think this so this week you have the whole uh, the, uh, completely insurmountable it's not even a prequel or an origin story but this the story about the about the real life Buzz Lightyear that was that the toy was based off of that like who the fuck gives a shit and wants to watch that and wait, but it but is wait Buzz Lightyear is based on a real person so allegedly, so no, no, it's a real person within the Toy Story universe. Oh God, so they're are literally making, me? they're literally making an origin story about a the real life character who was you know inspired Buzz Lightyear, who was real in the context of the Toy Story universe. So that in the Toy Story universe, they made a toy. Like, what the fuck Somewhere are you like doing? A graduate student studying postmodernism is like having an orgasm right now as you're like, yeah, exactly. describing this. Because I mean, like, like. I don't know, like, but the, but this that this the, you know this is kind of a a much more tame version of it, and like I mean they do have like a Puss in Boots spinoff, but for the most part it's 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 like they're the the what they're what they're gleaning from like people's enjoyment of these movies is oh like they want more gingerbread they want more Pinocchio they want more you know like and and they again like they're not understanding like that what was effective was the basic functions not the specific characters. Yeah, and I I think like. I mean, the Shrek franchise follows, like, what a lot of sequel franchises do, like the Jaws movies or, like, whatever. Like, any franchise where it quickly, uh, you know, ceases to be enjoyable, um, where you just get these characters and concepts run into the ground and devoid of any of the life that was in the first one. And I think that, like, the innovation of, like, a cinematic universe or, like, the kind of really IP-centric... Um, uh, like a movie, like movie franchises that we see now is that like studios have just become a lot more canny about making sure that the public doesn't feel that these are cynical anymore. Like, um, you know, like there's like a grow, like I remember these Shrek movies coming out and I remember no one really being that excited about the third or fourth one. They like went and saw them, but they weren't like things that had a lot of hype surrounding them. Uh, and like, 
increase like that's also true of like in Friday the 13th movies or like if you look at like Jaws or like any of these like these the franchise itself seems to become self-aware of its growing like irrelevance um and with something like the Marvel movies or maybe these Star Wars movies is that like the the machine around these movies drums up so much hype and self-importance that it like more successfully makes people buy into these things rather than allowing people to be cynical about them like you can see like shrek forever after like the fact that we don't put numbers after movies anymore you know i think that that's like a symbol of like a cannier sequel factory because they don't want people to think about how many of these they've made they want people to think that this new one is an important entry into this tapestry of the franchise rather than a linear thing in which a franchise loses steam over time um and oh go ahead zach no i i think that also speaks to like a broader franchise point because you think about like other other like franchises you know like i think star wars is a good example because it's one that you know the original trilogy is what it is and then Lucas does the kind of the prequel trilogy, which people have very strong feelings about, but at least is something trying to be kind of different from what the original was. And then you have the the newer one that's all trying to recapture the original without adding anything, you know, interesting or new about it. But you think about like what's success, like successful franchises and how they operate. It's again, improve like kind of re like tweaking and improving the, the, the function of it. You think about like the bond franchise, the bond franchise is constantly kind of reinventing itself. You know, you look at like the, the Roger Moore bonds compared to the Pierce Brosnan bonds compared to the Daniel Craig bonds, which, you know, completely have tried to do like this self-contained Thing, but they're always, you know, influenced by, you know, the Daniel Craig Bonds are very influenced by like the Jason Bourne movies and stuff like that. And then you look at something like the Mission Impossible movies; those ones keep going on and keep and keep being successful because they're constantly kind of adding new voices to it. You know, even though Tom Cruise is constantly there, they're you know they're also a franchise that's like built like taking from what's popular at the moment. You know, they're watching the John Wick movies, they're seeing the Jason Bourne movies, and they're going, "This is what's popular, so let's take that to kind of like build on our franchise." And like again, to the point that we've made about the Shrek fran- franchises, it was successful for the first two, but then as it kind of went on, it never it just kind of like it just kind of like went down the road it never was going well what's 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 popular now that we can kind of grasp and bring over it was con- it was just kind of staying the way it was and whenever you kind of have like that stagnant like this is what it is it just doesn't go anywhere yeah i almost wonder if the i mean this is maybe giving these movies more credit than it is but i almost wonder if that you know these movies becoming no longer satirical is in a way adopting some of the forms of like the movies around them just without any of the like expertise because i mean as much as i just said earlier that like the pixar movies or the later disney movies really adopted the shrek um like quippiness and kind of jokiness about it like the reason why a lot of people connect to pixar movies for instance is that the characters have stakes to them and that there's like emotion like real emotions and I wonder if, like, in a certain way, like, this, like, these final things were, like, well, uh, being just this, like, hyper-referential um, zany film is played out, and we're going to try to uh, shift gears into something in which the characters themselves will be an audience draw, and it just is a complete fail because it sucks. 
maybe that's giving the movies more like thoughtful credit than it is but like no i th- i think you're right though because you think about how again like this is it like these are happening in the golden age of like pixar movies of and people like really i mean people still hold pixar to that degree even though i think it's been off it for a while um you think about like how people um kind of go into a lot of the disney animated movies now and it's kind of the same way where like you have to kind of have this um there is like this kind of like genuine they they want like people like it seems now like a lot of them have like these kind of genuine plots you think of something like luca um for pixar which is which is, is a fun movie but it also it's not it's just kind of working on a different wavelength than something like shrek which is very like like i said is very it has its own contained world but it's also it's it's also working with you because it's it's referencing all these other outside things that you know and i think disney has now like shifted into keeping because it's all keeping it in the disney like sphere as it's doing with most things that there's just not room for something like shrek which is highly which is based on high referential humor and things like that i almost wonder i mean we we've we've talked about this before but um a movie like the lego movie at the time when it came out seems seemed to have done like something similar to what shrek did initially which was that it was in some ways like a send-up of like the the kind of um you know hyper like ip driven um like uh franchise film um and then over time that movie has lost its teeth uh because one it's an ongoing series in which that kind of send up became less relevant to what it was like the series was interested in but two just like the film landscape has changed in such that like this just doesn't feel that like prescient or interesting anymore and um I, I like Shrek. I think never meaningfully makes the shift into like making fun of like what like the new thing. Like every franchise that is a satire struggles to readjust to whatever new paradigm comes out. And I think that that's definitely true with the the Shrek films. Is that there's like they don't really understand where to go um, if with like any either satire or characters, and it just ends up being just dreadful. Well, and, and and not to be like you know, everybody's dumb, but it's not it. But it's like you think of like the references in the Lego Movie compared to Shrek. When Shrek makes like you know a reference to like Indiana Jones or something, you don't. It's not like Shrek is wearing like an Indiana Jones costume to signal that that's what he's referencing. He just he'll just kind of do something. You know, he'll he'll grab the thing from from the rock going down like Indiana Jones does. And you know from the action and the way it's shot that that's what he's referencing. In the Lego movie when they say Batman, literally Batman walks out because that's how that's how references work now where you know because IP is so sandwiched on each other that we just you know rather than making something clever it's just no batman will walk you know like what i like i haven't i haven't but that's almost part of the joke in the lego that's almost part of the joke in the lego movie is that like this idea that like the entire spectrum of like uh what lego has collaborated with is on the table and so like you're just playing along with like random characters and then like oh there's batman and then they just kind of move on there's superman and like at first, it's kind of a fun joke in the sense of just 
how trivialized like IP is in that movie where, you know, it's like, it reminds me of the early goings in the first Shrek movie where a lot of Disney signifiers show up simply to be kind of like made mundane or like a mockery of themselves. Um, But I think that like the Lego franchise, like the Shrek franchise, like struggled to figure out like, okay, once we have this single like kind of joke um, or satirical edge, like how do we do that with the evolving landscape, which for the Lego movie was the evolving landscape was these cannier and cannier like brand, um, uh, like, uh, like brand um, managements um, to the point where we get like the seemingly perpetual motion machine of the Marvel movies. And it's like, there is nothing like you can't satire the Marvel movies for being like trivially using IP because the Marvel movies have made that, that they're like made that their appeal. Um, and I think that the Shrek movies in, in the same way, like there's just like, as they go on, they, they just can't adjust to like any new, any new paradigm and therefore like the joke ceases to be relevant but they also can't figure out how to make a new joke and so you're just left with this like mealy mouth like garbage wow wow yeah you guys talk smart you know i don't know overall shrek forever after is not it was marginally better than three i think i think i'm not sure wait what would what would you say is better what would you say is better about this than three like i couldn't name a thing I'll I'll say I'll I'll say this. This is what I would make is that I was much more interested in like the alternate universe like ogres like ogre clan thing than I was in the Shrek needs to bring this guy to far far away to be the king because that got super that got super boring like it was just super dry and like like as andrew ranted about like you had merlin and all that shit it was just super boring i like it, i was bored in this also but i can hang with like the alternate universe stuff yeah, more. yeah. i think i guess that was kind of interesting yeah it was like i think they realized after three like oh maybe this sucks um let's just like do something totally different sort of. So they just like scrapped the universe they were in and like put a new universe. Like maybe we'll make this, is this any, is this anything? Is this any better for you guys? And no, not really. No, it's not, but they tried, you know, it was cool. I want to say, I do think it was kind of fun, I guess, um, as much as we can complaining about the characters and not caring about these characters, I think it was kind of fun to see like donkey anew in this new universe. Like that character was kind of fun where he wasn't really like the donkey we know and love. He's just some guy that's stuck in the shitty universe. And Shrek is like, Hey, you're my like best friend. And this guy, this guy is just like, no, who the fuck are you? Also, so like Shrek kidnaps this donkey and brings him out and says, I'm your best friend from Parallel Universe. And like, can you imagine some random person kidnapping you, like hauling you out to the middle of the woods and telling you they're your best friend from an alternate universe and with like the utmost like critical need, like I need you right now to save the world. Like that's so so bonkers if you think about it from donkey's perspective. So just seeing that was like kind of funny to me. 
And that's just pretty much it. That's pretty much it, I think. I would have liked this movie better from another person's perspective because when you put it in Shrek's perspective, <laughs> it justifies Shrek's behavior because you're like, okay, he can force these characters into the things that he wants because he knows that ultimately they're going to, he's going to be able to rescue them from the alternate universe or rescue himself, you know. And the same thing with like trying to kiss Fiona, like the movie is structured in a way that justifies that behavior because we're in Shrek's perspective where he knows if I can just get her to kiss me, then we can fix this problem. And I think that like it, in, a, in my head, it would be much funnier and or just more interesting to see this character bumbling around who thinks that he can fix everything, even though what he's doing is completely nonsensical within the rules of like the new world. Honestly, scary like can you imagine if this guy just shows up out of nowhere and you're like a female celebrity and he just keeps following you around insisting that you kiss him because you're his true love from not just universe? a female like, celebrity but up. female like insurgent where you like have a secret base and everything like i feel like you would like immediately assume scary. that they're cia or something like, this is kind of like bad messaging honestly yeah it's really gross like i don't know the whole the whole scene like there's a really long sequence in which he keeps trying to get her to kiss him and that whole sequence is like it just wasn't fun like i don't know one thing i will add i think oh, i I, I think i uh, will real, real quickly the once i the one scene i hated more than anything like i mm. absolutely despised it was when mm. the pied piper came and they were all dancing Oh my god! That, why? 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 They well, it, it 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 just felt like it was one like you're just people are taking that for like gifs and memes and stuff like that. But, but at the same time, like it was just just strange. Like I was like, what the hell am I watching right now? All these ogres like twirling around. I was like, also, yeah. I'd like to think that the older Shrek movies would have gotten the really easy joke out of that, which is to make him play a Jethro Tull song. But no, he doesn't play a Jethro Tull song. Um. Anyway, my point that I was going to... The, the one thing that I think is funny about Shrek is not... Or Shrek Forever After is not actually in the movie. It's the tagline, which is, it ain't ogre till it's ogre, which <laughs> I liked a lot, actually. But otherwise, I don't it think I like anything in this movie. Wow. The, oh, no, my favorite part of the movie I was telling Jesse was the kid who said, do the roar, do the roar. Because I just liked his voice. <laughs> it's awful. It was. All right. I would lose my mind, too, if I was Shrek and some kid was talking to me like Do that. Do the roar. <laughs> um, well, that will wrap up this episode of Cinematary as we hopefully get out of the the worst of the Shrek woods. Do you have Do you have regrets, Zach? No. About October? No, it was fine. I, I Like, honestly, I genuinely really enjoy the first two movies they're fantastic yeah. and i think other... i think i need another like decade or so before i'm ready to revisit them honestly. yeah yeah i'm not gonna watch them for a while retold is um, fun have you guys hurts seen my heart honestly because it's i think next next week should what? be fun retold is is a fun little thing yeah i have seen that it's fun but i don't think i i'm not, not on that episode anymore and i'm kind of relieved like i'm so glad to be yeah done. i feel bad now that i've been reminded that i was the one who signed up for this or who who pitched this series because oh <laughs> i was like number one pitch for the series the end, i didn't like, pitch it but i was like yes I don't know if, uh, the nays there were definitely naysayers i'm not sure if i'm ready to say the naysayers were right um because the first two are worth discussing <laughs> but the naysayers were certainly right about three and four which i don't know i mean we we have talked like almost 50 minutes about four but I don't know that we needed to have talked 50 minutes about four. No. <laughs> I know, it's surprising. No, honestly. it's like last week. We could sit here and name movies that we haven't talked about on this podcast, but we've done Shrek Forever After, so. 
Um, all right. Well, that'll wrap up this episode of Cinematary. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cinematary on Twitter and Instagram at handle at cinematary and on letterbox at letterbox.com slash cinematary where we post all the movies that we talked about in this episode. Thank you to our patrons, patreon.com slash cinematary. Thank you to Cam, Chad Newsom, Christina Daughtry, Corey Willingham, Harry Eskin, Candace Sisson, Ron Hayes, Tyler Chandler, Whitney Rio Ross. Thank you so much for your patronage. Uh, next week, like we said, uh, we're going to be doing two uh, Shrek adjacent movies that are uh, you know, kind of broken off from the main franchise. That is Shrek Retold, which is a collection of animated uh you know scenes to remake the first movie um and then the shrek musical which was on broadway for a while that is on netflix i believe it is just like a a video so um yeah i i'm i'm on i i'm not sure what to make of the musical i'm kind of excited about the retold i think that'll be kind of it's something i I think it's It's gonna be really it's really like i think it's gonna be cool um but yeah and then Highly recommend. But yeah, and until then, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>